What's up, everyone? Welcome back to the program. It is Not Your Average Boston Sports Podcast. I am your host, Garrett Hayden. As always, you can listen to the podcast on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify, and you can follow our social pages for the latest updates. You can follow those pages on Twitter and on Facebook. Uh, great to be back with you folks this week as we are, uh, you know, right in the the middle of the very beginning of football season, uh, which is really, really exciting. So uh, plenty of Patriot stuff, uh, doing an NFL preview also, you know, once we're done with all the local teams. So really looking forward to uh, giving you guys this content uh, today, uh, today on uh, Labor Day, and we'll have uh, even more Patriot stuff this week uh, when I talk to a... uh, good friend of mine that will talk uh, Patriots, going to kind of keep that a little bit of a secret, but uh, looking forward to uh, getting more Patriot stuff out there. Uh, later this week, we'll do a Patriots season preview. Um, we'll probably go light on season preview stuff today, uh, just because I want to be able to talk, you know, specifically Patriots uh, when we do Guest Friday. Uh, speaking of Guest Friday, I want to um, extend a thank you to uh, Dave Gosher who came on last week. It was really fun to uh, bring you guys that conversation. Uh, Dave's a longtime uh, friend of mine. You know, obviously we go way back at the sports broadcasting camp that uh, some of you some of you folks know about. So uh, that was a really cool interview, really cool to uh, get to talk to Dave and, you know, always wish the uh, Golden Knights well, you know, from, from his perspective. But uh, it was a really cool conversation and, uh, Looking forward to possibly getting Dave on again at some point. So uh, that was really fun. Uh, if you have not listened to that interview, uh, you can go to Apple Podcast or Spotify and find Guest Friday from last week. So uh, we're going to get right into the Patriots. We're not even going to, yeah, enough, enough, enough chit-chat at the beginning. We're going to start talking Patriots. Um, so the roster obviously was finalized Tuesday of last week. We now have an idea of the 53-man roster. Um, I think on my end of my projection, I think I did pretty well. You know, there are some guys I missed, but I think for the most part, I was pretty pretty pleased with myself that I was able to get, you know, most of those guys correct. Um, I think when you look at that roster and you look at, you know, Tuesday when the roster kind of came together, I don't think there were really any huge surprises. You know, I think that Justin Bethel may have been the only surprise of a guy that got cut. You know, you could make an argument that Devin Asiasi getting cut was a little bit of a surprise. He gets claimed by the Bengals. You know, Bethel, I think it just is surprising um, because he was a very good special teamer for a couple of years here. And, you know, it really seemed like his position was uh, pretty solidified. But I think someone like Brendan Schooler, uh, considering how strong his training camp and preseason was, may have pushed Bethel out of a spot. So I think that, you know, that might be the like biggest surprise on the roster. I mean, I think that certainly there were some other, you know, offensive linemen that were made the roster. Um, but I think that if you look for the most part, the roster is pretty much what you would expect. You know, I think that you go position by position, um, it kind of makes sense. You know, I think that maybe we'll go position by position here just to take a look. You know, the receivers, not really much of a surprise. Um, 
Devontae Parker, obviously Kendrick Bourne. Um, that's what I was looking for. I should have been looking for the depth chart. Um, so I think, you know, wide receiver, not much of a surprise. Aguilar, Bourne, Myers, and Parker, you know, that top four. Um, the Patriots did bring on, or they do have Tyquan Thornton, who is, you know, on the injured reserve. So he will be there for the first couple of weeks of the season. Um, a little Jordan Humphrey, maybe it was a little bit of a surprise that he didn't make uh, the active roster. He did make the practice squad. We'll take a look at the practice squad in a couple minutes, but I think it makes sense just to kind of look at the different positions that the Patriots, you know, brought guys on. So wide receiver, no surprises there. Running back, I don't really think any surprises there. Ty Montgomery uh, did make the active roster, so it seems to me that he should be fine from the injury that he suffered in uh, one of the preseason games um, against the Raiders. So, you know, he's on there. Uh, Pierre Strong Jr. made it. Uh, that was not really a surprise to me. May have been a surprise to some other people, Patriots then also. Uh, Damian Harris, Ramondre Stevenson, no surprises there. You know, the quarterbacks, no surprises there. Um, there maybe was a little bit of a surprise that the Patriots only brought two tight ends on the active roster, um, but they do have two on the practice squad, so I think, you know, it makes sense. You know, you have the two tight ends, Henry and Smith, they're going to be kind of the go-to guys, and they have guys on the practice squad, you know, if something happens. So, um, you know, I think that, sure, you could have had three tight ends, but I think the Patriots choosing to have two, um, and, you know, opening up kind of an extra roster spot maybe on the other side um, the offensive line no surprises with the, the like the, the starting group uh, Trent Brown Cole Strange David Andrews Mike Owenu and Isaiah Wynn the Patriots also bringing on Yadni Kajust uh, Justin Haran and Chasen Hines who was a draft pick of the Patriots this past year um, so those three guys made it as kind of extra guys on the active roster there will be a bunch of guys um, on the practice squad, and we'll get to that in a moment. Um, in terms of the defense, you know, looking at the defensive line, I was pretty surprised that the Patriots brought uh, Sam Roberts onto the roster. They really liked what he did in the preseason. He was also a draft pick this past year, um, so he made the roster. That was kind of a, a surprise to me. Uh, Carl Davis Jr. also made the roster. Um, you know, no surprises with the starters, Dietrich Wise, uh, Devon Godshaw, Christian Barmore, Lawrence Guy, uh, Demarcus Mitchell did also make the roster. He had an impressive preseason, um, was an undrafted free agent, so he made the team. I think I was a little surprised that LeBron Ray did not make the team. He impressed, he impressed me um, in preseason, but um, obviously maybe didn't do enough to get on the active roster. He is on the practice squad. Um, and then for linebackers, you know, I think that no surprises here. You know, I think everyone there makes a lot of sense. Jelani Tavai may have been the only guy where me personally, I kind of went back and forth on. Um, you could probably expect that he helps a lot on special teams. Um, but you have guys like Judon, Uche, Anthony Jennings, Mac Wilson, Jawan Bentley, Raekwon McMillan. You know, really no surprises there. You know, cornerback. Um, is a little interesting. Uh, the Patriots with Jalen Mills, Jonathan Jones, 
that are going to be on either side. You know, the Patriots kind of converting Jonathan Jones to um, an outside guy, which is kind of interesting and kind of curious to see how he does. And then the Patriots have uh, Marcus Jones, Jack Jones, Sean Wade, and Miles Bryant as the other cornerbacks. So I think the Patriots definitely embracing youth at the cornerback position, which, you know, hopefully it turns out okay. You know, I think you're going to get, you're going to see some bumps and bruises, um, unfortunately, but I think it's good to see that the Patriots are really embracing kind of some youth and more speed. I think specifically a cornerback and linebacker. And then safety, you know, perhaps the strongest uh, group on the team, Kyle Duggar, Devin McCourty, Jabril Peppers, Adrian Phillips, Josh Bledsoe, um, then Cody Davis and Brendan Schooler are also included um, at the safety position, even though they're probably are going to be um, mostly guys that play on special teams. In terms of the special teams guys, no surprises uh, with Folk, Bailey, and Joe Cardona. Um, it seems to me that Ty Montgomery is probably going to be their main returner. Um, or that's at least how he's listed on the depth chart, which I think makes sense. You know, I think that he's going to be a guy that is definitely going to take on like a James White type role um, as kind of a third down back pass catching guy, um, which I like. You know, I think he's a guy that's bounced around a little bit in the league, but he's always been able to do multiple things uh, for certain offenses, whether it was Green Bay or the Saints. Uh, taking a look at the practice squad, um, the Patriots did also put a couple of guys on injured reserve. Uh, Ronnie Perkins, I think his season's over. He probably won't be playing, and I don't believe Wilkerson is going to be playing either, although he could get activated at some point. And then uh, Juwan Williams obviously is out for the year. Tyquan Thornton on the injured reserve, but probably will be able to come back at some point during the season. And then we're going to take a look at the practice squad, take a look at some positions that the Patriots chose to uh, bring or have some more depth on the practice squad, I should say. Um, there was also something that I learned about the practice squad um, that guys on the practice squad are only allowed to be elevated three times a year. So one player is only able to be activated three different times. So that was kind of interesting. So it's not like, you know, you can activate a player every single week, um, which I think makes sense. Uh, taking a look at some positions, uh, Terrence Mitchell is on the practice squad. It was a little bit of a surprise as he seemed to do really well in camp early, um, but I think kind of fell off a little bit. But it is interesting that he's on the practice squad, so it gives you another, you know, veteran player that, you know, should one of the young guys falter or have an injury, he's a guy that you can easily uh, bring in. Uh, Brad Hawkins is also on the practice squad. He's a defensive back. A um, couple of defensive linemen, Jeremiah Farms Jr. and LeBron Ray. So both of those guys are on the practice squad. Um, Harvey Longy, Cameron McGrone on the practice squad at the linebacker position. Um, and then offensive line, the Patriots putting James Ferentz, Cody Russi, um, and Bill Murray on the practice squad, all three of those guys. Offensive linemen, J.J. Taylor, Kevin Harris at running back, uh, Matt Sokol and uh, Jalen Widermeyer, uh, both of those guys at uh, tight end. And then little Jordan Humphrey, Trey Nixon, and uh, Lynn Bowden, who the Patriots signed uh, during the week to the practice squad. So he's kind of an interesting guy. You know, he was a third-round pick 
of the Dolphins in 2020. Uh, played a little bit his rookie season, didn't play at all last season, I think because of an injury. But he's a guy that, uh, if you watched him at all uh, at Kentucky in his college career, was a guy that did everything, was a quarterback, wide receiver, running back, really did everything. So that was kind of an interesting signing. You know, I think that, who knows, could he make inroads to the, to the active roster at some point? I think that that's fair. But I also think that he's kind of a really dynamic player that might actually be a good source for the Patriots to defend against a guy like that in practice, you know, so they can get used to defending against some other guys around the league that can do some of the things that he did um, at Kentucky and then with the Dolphins. So I'm kind of curious to see if he gets into any games this year um, and what you can see, you know, clearly if He's into a game. There's definitely some gadget plays that could be uh, thrown in there, although I don't really think that you're going to see a lot of those this year. You know, I think that with the offense not having Josh McDaniels, you're probably not going to see as many kind of wild gadget plays, which, you know, they're pretty polarizing topics with the Patriots. You know, people either really like them or they really don't like them. So I wouldn't expect that you're going to see a lot of those types of plays, but who knows? Uh, could be surprised. So just some other Patriot notes. Uh, Johnny Smith uh, restructured his contract recently, so it gives the Patriots um, about $8 million in cap space now as opposed to three. So I don't think it means that they're making any moves, but I think that it was interesting that the Patriots do have plenty of cap space now if they want to bring in you know, someone during the season. Um, but I think it does tell you that the Patriots do believe that Johnny Smith's going to be a big part of their offense going forward. Um, I think maybe you could make an argument that, you know, they're putting too much money on him the last two seasons of his deal. But I think this is a team that's going to have a lot of cap space next year. And, you know, I think it just tells you that they envision him being a big part of their offense for the next couple of years, which is great. You know, I think that there's been an emphasis that, you know, offensively they're going to try to get him the ball a lot more, you know, utilize that that athleticism that he has. Um, and I think that's going to be important for um, an offense that I think has had its issues, its bumps and bruises in camp and preseason. Um, I think as long as the Patriots can do a good job of getting the ball to playmakers like Smith, like Devontae Parker, um, it's really going to help their offense and it's going to you know, help them kind of get off to a good start, which I think if this offense can get into a rhythm, get off to a good start, you know, that's really going to pay dividends down the road because I think, yeah, there are a lot of people that I think are concerned about the offense and what might happen this year. But, you know, I think you got to see what they look like in games. You know, I think that it's a little too easy for some people to, you know, take one issue that happened in training camp in the preseason and be like, oh, this is what it's going to be like um, the rest of the year. So all I'm really going to say there, Tyquan Thornton also, as you mentioned, will start the year on injured reserve. It'll be interesting to see when he comes back, you know, what the Patriots are going to, what type of context they're going to use him in. I mean, I think that clearly you want to utilize his speed. You know, that's why they drafted him. So, you know, he's a guy that I think, really impressed in training camp in the preseason and some games and situations in practice that I think 
the Patriots are really excited about this young receiver, and I feel like he's one of the few guys that I can remember as, like, wide receivers that the Patriots drafted that I think actually has a very good chance to be good. I honestly thought the same thing about Nikhil Harry, but, you know, had that injury in training camp or in a preseason game that I think knocked him out for, like, half the season. So the hope is that Thornton can come in and be a good playmaker, you know, a guy that can take the top off the defense, but, you know, also a guy that can make some plays underneath. Um, you know, you have to be able to do multiple things at the NFL level, you know, if you're going to be a good receiver that, you know, makes a name for himself. So I'm curious to see what the offense looks like when he comes back. Um, you know, obviously Patriots getting ready for their matchup with the uh, Dolphins on Sunday. Week one, Patriots will be traveling down there a couple days early uh, to practice in the heat and humidity, which... I think is a good idea. The Patriots have obviously had their issues down there uh, throughout the years, you know, with Brady or without Tom Brady. You know, I think that it's clear that getting some extra practice time, so it's not a total shock when they come into playing Sunday's Sunday's game that, okay, you know, this is how serious the heat and humidity is going to be. Um, so I like that. I think that it's a good idea. You know, I think that you're probably going to see a very close game. In, in week one, you know, I think that you're going to see a game that's going to be down to the wire, you know, much like last year. The Patriots had a chance to win the game. They fumbled late in the game, but I think the two teams are just very evenly matched. You know, the Dolphins have a lot of talent on the offensive side, but two as a quarterback that I think you kind of still aren't totally sure about and aren't really totally sure, you know, if he's going to be able to get the ball consistently to Tyreek Hill. Jalen Waddle, the Dolphins' defense has given the Patriots issues over the years, so I think you keep turnovers down. I think that's really the biggest thing. You know, the offense has had some issues in preseason with some turnovers, but I think if you keep them down, you know, you take advantage of the opportunities you can to get points. You know, and I understand that, you know, if they're down inside the five-yard line and it's fourth down, you know, people may be tempted to go for it, but I think that this is a team that you're playing the Dolphins. This is a game that I think it's going to be close. And so I think you have to take points at any opportunity you can. Um, you know, 17-16 was the final score last year. So I really think that it's going to be a lot like that. You know, 21-20, to 20, you know, 22-19, to 19, it's going to be something like that. So turnovers need to stay down. Um, I think the Patriots... Like I said with Johnny Smith, they got to get the ball to their playmakers. And I think that maybe isn't necessarily a game one thing. It's kind of a whole season thing. But I think Johnny Smith's a guy that I expect to get a lot of touches. Um, Ty Montgomery, if he's healthy, I think he gets a lot of touches in this game. Um, the offensive line, I think, is the biggest storyline for this team going into the season that can they be better than they were in the preseason and be a good enough line that they can protect Mac Jones, that he has time to throw. Um, and, you know, they don't they don't have a situation where he's running for his life on every single play. So, you know, I think that that's going to be the biggest thing, the offensive line play, keeping turnovers down. And, you know, I think defensively keeping everything in front of you, you know, can't let Tyreek Hill or Jalen Waddle get behind you, you know, because then that's over. You know, they can score 70, 80-yard touchdowns easily. So 
I think that for the passing game specifically, it's mixing up certain blitzes, certain certain defenses so that Tua is is confused, but I think also keeping track of where Waddle and Hill are in every single play. It's going to be interesting to see who they match up against those guys. You know, I think, I would think that it probably makes sense that Jalen Mills is matched up with Waddle, and then you have Jonathan Jones with uh, Tyreek Hill with probably a safety helping over the top. So that will be interesting to see. Um, I do like the Patriots in this game. I do think that going down early to Miami, they're going to get familiar with the surroundings. You know, I think that, look, the offense doesn't need to be at the top of its game week one. You know, this is not an offense that needs to score 30 points week one. You know, this is an offense that you could get 23 points in week one. You're probably going to be okay. So, you know, keeping the turnovers down, making sure Mac Jones is protected, you get the ball to your playmakers, and you just keep it simple on defense. You know, really do not let those fast guys get behind you because uh, it could be a long day for their defense if they're unable to keep those guys in front of them. But I do like the Patriots in this game. I do. I think it's going to be close, but I think that they come away with a win in Miami and make some people uh, feel a little bit better about their prospects uh, for this season. So uh, I think that's going to be it for the Patriots. We'll obviously return to the Patriots on Guest Friday this week. Um, as we'll kind of go more in-depth in terms of what to expect from this team this season. So I think that's going to be it for the Patriots. We'll move on to the Red Sox. Uh, five straight wins for this team uh, recently, which has been good to see them get some wins. They had a road win against Minnesota earlier in the week, and then followed it up with a four-game sweep against the Texas Rangers. Uh, it's just some really good play from them. You know, I think offensively had some great games. You know, had that fantastic comeback Thursday night against Texas, winning 9-8. to eight. Um, And then a good offensive performance the last couple of games. You know, bullpen had some issues on Saturday's game, but that was the game that Brian Bayo pitched. Um, he pitched really well, I think, for the first time in his short career. He pitched really well, so it's good to see that. Um, also good to see that uh, Trevor Story and uh, Xander Bogarts had a good day yesterday. Uh, Story with a three-run home run, so it seems like coming back from injury, Story's been pretty solid. Um, you know, the unfortunate thing with this team is that it just is like, it's too little too late. You know, I think in terms of thinking about this team as a contender, you know, 67 and 68, they have 27 games left, and, you know, to be perfectly frank, they probably need to win at least 20 games of their last 27 if they're going to have any chance. So I don't think it looks very good for this team, but hey, you never know. Uh, but it's at least good to see that they're getting some wins and, you know, giving Fenway, giving the fans something to feel a little bit okay about that, you know, okay, they're not totally throwing in the towel and tanking it that, okay, you know, this season's over. What's the point? You know, there's still guys that are professionals and they go out there and do their job and want to win every single game that they play. So um, it's just good to see them getting some kind of positive affirmation that what they're doing is good. Um, obviously, it's going to be challenging. Red Sox have a uh, three-game set in uh, Tampa Bay 
starting tonight. We'll take a look at uh, the rest of their schedule this week. But, you know, just good to see that they're getting some wins. You know, I think it's something to feel positive about. You know, I think that it's too bad that, you know, injuries kind of derailed a lot of this team this year. But good to see that, you know, he and Bogarts are, are, are hitting and performing well. You know, and I think that it was something in the paper that, you know, talked about the the two of them being, you know, linked in terms of, okay, are these two guys that are going to stay around long-term, specifically Bogarts? And, you know, obviously there's a lot out there that, okay, the Red Sox brought in Story to move him over to shortstop, but I think, you know, there also could be something to be said for, okay, do the Red Sox see the two of them playing really well together and think, okay, we want to keep these guys around for the foreseeable future. You know, Bogarts obviously has to opt out this offseason, but if the Red Sox can give him, you know, a two-year deal, three-year deal, you know, give him upwards of $30 million a year, can you have these two guys around for the next five years, which I think could be really, really beneficial um, to this team. And, you know, you assume you keep Devers, and it's like, okay, those are three-year middle, three-year infielders, and you feel pretty good about Tristan Cassis, too you know, kind of making the jump over to our next topic. He made his major league debut yesterday with a hit, so that was really exciting. But it's like, you think about those four guys, Cassis, Story, Bogarts, and Devers, you think about those guys for the next couple of years, it's a pretty good place to start. So I think you hope that the Red Sox are thinking that way and are thinking that, okay, if we keep these guys around, we're going to have a really good you know, offensive infield and a defensive infield. You know, you think about Story, he's been really good defensively, and, you know, Devers has improved. You know, Bogarts, I think at this point, he's going to be what he's going to be defensively. Never really been an elite defender, but I think he does his job and does it fine. And I think you might want to think about those four guys and keeping that core together for the foreseeable future. Um, I think just kind of going back to more Red Sox stuff, Tanner Houck is uh, being shut down for the year. He has to have back surgery, um, and it sounds like Eric Hosmer, there's a chance he might be done for the year, um, and perhaps Nathan Avaldi, but it does sound like he is trying to work his way back, so maybe you see him uh, pitch a couple more games down the stretch. I do think that it could possibly be it for Avaldi here. You know, I think that considering the, the injuries that the Red Sox have had in the rotation and what have you, you know, doesn't make sense to bring him back another year. Um, that will be curious to see what their thought process is with him throughout the seat, throughout the off season. Um, so I think as we've talked about a couple times that it's important having someone like Cassis come up um, and have some of the young guys getting as many opportunities as they can. Um, you know, Cassis is a guy who's the number two prospect in the Red Sox organization, and, you know, giving him the extended run of playing probably the entire rest of the season, which would be, would, would, you know, would be great. You know, if there are 27 games left, you probably think that he plays somewhere in the mid-20s. You know, get him as many games as you can so that, when the season starts next year, you can feel good about him starting at the major league level, which is what should happen, you know, and it's, it's frustrating that Cassis has had 
unfortunately had some some issue injury issues this year that he wasn't able to be called up earlier than per perhaps he should have um, because the Red Sox clearly just had a, a failed experiment at first base with Cordero and Dahlbeck and it just is clear that it didn't work you know and I think that the Red Sox were hoping that Cassis would be available so you know he could come in and start playing first base middle of the season but um, it just didn't work out that way. Um, but it's good that he's here now and good that he's getting opportunities because I think that's the most important thing for his future um, the rest of the way. So I'd be very curious to watch his prosper, his um, progress the rest of the season and what do the Red Sox think going into spring training next year, you know? Do they think that he's going to be the starter there? Um which, you know, when they get to spring training, it's possible a team might look very different, but here's hoping that they don't look different, that, you know, they can keep Bogarts, they can give Devers a long-term extension and, you know, feel good about their infield for the next couple of years for the foreseeable future, as I said. So um, another young player that's getting some opportunities, Connor Wong, uh, the catcher that uh, was in the Mookie Betts trade a couple of years ago. So, he hit a home run the other night and uh, is a guy that I think the Red Sox are excited about in terms of his athleticism. You know, do you see him getting some chances catching next year? Um, you know, it doesn't seem like Kevin Ploiecki will be around, you know, and you could go into the season using Wong and Reese McGuire next year. So, you know, Wong is a guy who, again, I think is just like Cassis needs to get as many opportunities as he can get. He's not played a lot this year. Um, has only played, uh, has only had 13 at-bats. So he's a guy that I think the Red Sox are hoping they can see a little bit more from him. He's been playing really well, um, or had been playing really well in Worcester this season. So um, excited to see what he can do perhaps down the stretch. Um, you know, surprisingly, Reese McGuire, as I mentioned him, He's honestly not been doing too bad since he came over uh, from the White Sox. You know, I think that filling in as good as you can for a guy like Christian Vasquez. So, you know, is McGuire a guy that the Red Sox feel that he can stick around? Um, Wong is a guy that, you know, as I mentioned, his athleticism, he's a guy that you can put at a couple of different positions. He actually has played a little bit at second base, so... I'm not sure if the Red Sox plan is to use him as a platoon catcher, you know, or that do they put him somewhere else? Um, but it was great to see him hit a home run the other night. I think the Red Sox are excited about his offensive potential. Um, but I think that giving him as many opportunities as you can, you know, I think is going to work out really well for really well for his development and hopefully, you know, the team's development as. They try to integrate some more younger players with guys like Cassis, Brian Bayo, Josh Winkowski, who pitched really well yesterday. Um, I think he's been impressive at times, you know, as a guy that I think is still finding his groove, but I think that he's been a pretty solid starter. And, you know, Bayo has had some, some issues, but I don't really think that it's necessarily all on him. You know, I think that what you saw on Thursday night, that was Saturday, what you saw on Saturday, I think, is kind of what you expect him to be, you know, a guy that can give you six shutout innings pretty easily, so 
he's a guy who's progress that I'm very curious to watch the rest of the season and then, you know, spring training next year um, as he's a guy that I think legitimately could earn a spot in the rotation next year if, you know, all goes according to plan. So looking at the Red Sox schedule for the uh, upcoming upcoming week, as I said, they're in Tampa Bay starting this afternoon, uh, 4-10 start, Michael Waka pitches, um, then the Red Sox will have two more against Tampa Bay Tuesday night and Wednesday night, and then the Red Sox will travel to Baltimore to play a three-game set. Brian Bayo uh, projected to start on Friday night. So, you know, I think that we pretty well established that we don't expect the Red Sox to get back into contention, but, you know, who knows? This is a Tampa Bay team that the Red Sox have obviously had their issues with Tampa Bay this year and had their issues with uh, the division. Um, and it, you know, kind of makes matters worse as Tampa Bay is now playing the best baseball they've played all year, and they're making things interesting on the Yankees. Um, but it'll be interesting to see how the Red Sox match up against a Tampa Bay team that's probably going to go to the playoffs. Um, so, you know, I think it'll be interesting to see, but hopefully they can just can continue the winning ways. You know, they can continue the trying to feel good about something the rest of the year because it doesn't really seem like they're going to be going anywhere in the postseason or they're, they're probably not going to the postseason. So, you know, it's just trying to build on the last month of the season. You know, it's exactly a month left. The Red Sox uh, finished the season October 5th. So we're here September 5th. We're a month away from the, the season being over. You know, I think that a lot of us would have liked the season to go a little bit better, but you know, hey, that's sports. Things don't always work out the way that the way that you want them to, you know. Um, so I think I think that's probably going to be it for the Sox. We'll um, move on to some uh, Celtics news. Unfortunately, the Celtics got uh, pretty uh, got some pretty big bad news a couple of days ago with the report that uh, Danilo Gallinari's injury uh, was actually more serious than uh, doctors in Italy thought. So he came back to the States and it was revealed that um, his ACL was torn. So, you know, obviously it's an injury where it's it's challenging because I think the, the recovery time is six to 12 months and it's very, you know, varies really with a lot of different guys and Here's a guy in Gallinari who has torn his left ACL before. So, you know, I think I'm not, obviously I'm not a doctor, but I'm kind of not sure if it means that is the second tear of the ACL, is it worse? You know, does it make it worse where it's like, okay, he's going to be out for a really long time because he's torn it already? Or does it mean that if he's torn it already, is it, you know, easier to put back together? Who knows? I'm just speculating. I don't mean to sound like a doctor or anything, but, you know, I think the expected recovery time for most people who tear their ACL is six to 12 months. So, you know, if you put six months out, that's probably to March, but, you know, it really depends on the person and, and the player. So it probably is going to be hard to expect him to play this season. You know, I think that if there's a possibility he comes back in the playoffs, if he 
responds well to his recovery. Maybe that's a possibility, but I think the Red Sox or the Celtics are going to be operating with the idea that he's probably out for the for the season. So, you know, it's too bad because Gallinari really was going to be a guy that was going to help them out off the bench, be a guy that could just provide instant offense. You know, we've talked about that he has his warts defensively, but the Celtics have the Celtics have like at least six or seven guys that play defense at an almost all NBA level. So, you know, it was like he wasn't going to need to be a great defender. You know, he just was going to be able to play his role. It was going to make things easier for Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown to have a guy who could score the ball consistently, shoot the three well. Um, so, you know, it's really, it's a tough blow. And Gallinari is the guy that I think was really excited about uh, playing in Boston. But, you know, things happen. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see what the Celtics do to kind of make that injury not seem as bad or, or come or I don't know what, what am I what am I trying to say that they try to find ways to make up for the loss um, of Gallinari and whether that means guys in the roster did they get an opportunity or did the Celtics want to sign someone quickly and try to try to not make the loss as worse as it could be. You know, if they bring in someone that could provide a similar type of offensive game. Um, but I think someone on the roster, you know, I think Grant Williams certainly is going to get more of an opportunity. Um, Sam Hauser is a guy that I think it's a tremendous chance for him to prove that he can play at the NBA level, that, you know, he can play defense at an NBA level, um, and he can, you know, shoot the ball at high, high efficiency. You know, he only played in 26 games last year, you know, really playing in mop-up duty, but did shoot 43% from three. So here's a guy that if he gets opportunities, you know, he could provide some of what Gallinari provides as, you know, a knockdown three-point shooter. Um, you know, obviously it's a lot of expectation. I'm not saying that Sam Hauser needs to become Gallinari, but I think he's going to be a guy that's going to get opportunity early on in this season to kind of see what he has. Um, so I'm excited for, for him. I think that he'll get opportunities in training camp. He'll get opportunities um, in the preseason. And this is probably going to happen, you know, unless the Celtics make a kind of high profile free agent signing. Um, but I do think that there is a good chance that the Celtics are going to give Sam an opportunity to prove what he's got. And, you know, hopefully it helps. Hopefully that the opportunity is something that, that works for him and he can become, you know, an impact player and that player that can earn solid rotational minutes. You know, if he can be able to knock down shots, but also be able to guard, you know, it's something that uh, Brian Scalabrini says all the time during Celtics broadcast that, you know, there's always a place for guys that can play defense. You know, as long as you can play defense at a decent level, you're going to be fine and you're going to be able to earn yourself a role. So I think hoping that, you know, Sam can do that and can continue to do what he did, knocking down shots, because if he can do that consistently, you know, it could give the Celtics another option off the bench of someone that could provide 
you know, instant offense with some good three-point shooting. Um, in terms of guys that they could bring in, you know, we talked last week about uh, Carmelo Anthony, and I think that considering that Gallinari's injury is now worse than originally thought, there's a good chance that the Celtics could bring in someone like Carmelo who can provide instant offense, you know, as a guy that was able to score 20-plus points in a lot of games last year for the Lakers. And, you know, obviously 38 years old, he's getting up there, but clearly is a guy that can still play and can still put the ball in the basket and, you know, give you 15 to 20 minutes a night and provide a lot of what Gallinari could do. You know, I think that historically Gallinari's a better shooter than Carmelo, especially from three-point range. But, you know, there's a lot of similarities between the way or between the two of them and the way that they play off, the way that they um, perform on offense, you know, obviously there would again be some concerns defensively and like effort wise, but, you know, I think that considering how strong the Celtics are defensively when, you know, you have a starting five that is pretty elite and then you're bringing guys off the bench and Grant Williams, Malcolm Brogdon and Derek White, all three of those guys are very good defenders too. So, you know, it's not like if the Celtics brought in Carmelo, they're asking him to be an all-NBA defender. I think they just would ask that he tries. And I think being on a team like the Celtics, a, a young, kind of hungry team, it might motivate him. You know, it might give him the best chance he can to win a championship. But I also think that he would be a great guy to have around for Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. Um, and Marcus Smart, you know, kind of the young core of this team, having an older veteran that's been around and, you know, has played for some great teams throughout his career, you know, whether it's in the NBA or Team USA. I think that he's a guy that I think Jason Tatum in particular, you know, really looks up to. And I think that he could be a guy that he could motivate the team, but the Celtics can motivate him as well. You know, being an older guy that's never won a championship, I think that it could be, it could be a really great addition. Um, I think that he's really the only guy that can give you very similar to what Gallinari does offensively. You know, there are some other guys that they could bring in. You know, it is possible they bring in someone like a Boogie Cousins or uh, Dwight Howard, but they're kind of less uh, of an offensive. Like they don't have as good of an offensive skill set as Gallinari does. So I think. You know, you could see the Celtics do that. I think uh, Jeremy Lamb is a name that I've seen. You know, I think there are a lot of people that are screaming, oh, you know, you can you could get Bogdanovich with the uh, trade player exception. And I don't think that that's happening. I don't think that that's happening, that the Celtics would be able to get him from the Jazz. Um, certainly, it would be an amazing addition, but I don't think that they can do that. Um, so I think... I think that's probably it for the Celtics, not a whole lot. Um, there's not a whole lot on the Bruins, not a whole lot of new stuff, but obviously as it gets closer to training camp, we'll keep you updated. So we're now going to get into the Revolution. And boy, did the Revolution have a good night last night. It was a uh, must-win for this team. You know, the Revs, considering where they are um, in the standings, and we'll take a look at them, in a second, the Revs uh, really needed this game last night, um, and they got it. They got a great performance last night. 
uh, a 3-0 win over NYCFC, a game that I think uh, mathematically, maybe necessarily, they didn't need, but I think just from an emotional standpoint and you know, really wanting to make sure they have a chance to make the playoffs, performed really well. You know, got an early goal. Uh, John Bell made an appearance. He hasn't played in a long time, but he got his uh, his second career goal. And then uh, Noel Buck, the youngster, with uh, his first career goal, 17 years old. I uh, was played a little bit for the Reds recently. was on the um, academy team, obviously. But great to see him get on the score sheet. You know, he was a guy that I think um, was given a lot of confidence with um, having him start last night. And... You know, it was great to see he was really aggressive. You know, if you watched any of the game, you noticed that he was taking a lot of chances. He actually, you know, fired a couple shots from the same area that he scored the goal. And I think that it was great to see the aggressiveness and kind of the urgency from this team um, because it really felt like it was missing in their last matchup with um, Chicago, you know, a team that was undermanned and, you know, really is not very good. And, the Revs, you know, weren't able to, to find the back of the net. So it was good to see that they were aggressive and they were willing to, you know, play with some urgency and really realize that, okay, the season's winding down and, you know, we really need the points. Um, and the Revolution really played like they needed that game last night, which was great to see. Tommy McNamara gets a goal in the second half. Um, he's one of the guys that I think has been playing very, very well recently. Um, I guess two goals and four assists in his last seven games. So any type of offense the Revs can get from anyone, you know, not named Carlos Heal or Gustavo Bo, you know, is great to see. You know, it was good to see Gustavo Bo playing uh, the full game last night or most of the game um, because he's a guy that they need to have healthy and they need him to be able to, you know, start scoring some goals and, you know, be a guy that is close to, you know, 100% match fitness. And, you know, because if he can do that and he's scoring goals, you know, it really is going to help this team tremendously. So I really think, you know, no real complaints from this game last night. There were some, you know, defensive uh, bumps that, you know, NYC took advantage of, especially in the first half. But uh, George A. Petrovich was... Uh, amazing as he usually is it's pretty amazing to see how well he's been playing that you know there were a lot of concerns I think especially for me that Matt Turner leaves okay what do you have goaltending wise and you know here comes this this young Serbian that's you know looks like he's the best goaltender in the league and he's not even been playing for half a season which is just unbelievable how good he's been you know he makes some of these saves look so easy there was a save Last night, uh, can't remember who it was on NYCFC, but he got a great chance two feet from the goal line, and Georgia stopped him, and it, he made it look so easy. You know, obviously, he's been great saving the penalty kicks, but just his athletic ability, his ability that he can pretty much get to any ball um, has really saved the revolution, really helped them out, because I think if they're not getting the elite level goaltending that they're getting, I don't think that they would be even close to being in the playoff position that they are right now. So with the win last night, the revolution actually catapulted to uh, seventh place in the Eastern Conference in the last playoff spot. 
they have the advantage on a tiebreaker with FC Cincinnati thanks to goal differential. So that was good to see. The only kind of potential issue is the Revolution had played 29 games in Cincinnati and Inter-Miami, who is two points behind the Revs. You know, both have 28 games played, so they have one more game to play. So it makes it like the Revolution really need to start winning games and need to start getting three points, you know, so they can give themselves enough breathing room. And unfortunately, the schedule's not really getting any easier. The Revolution have to play um, a New York Red Bulls team next weekend. And then the weekend after that, they're playing a Montreal team that just beat them four to nothing. So they're going to need to kind of keep up this type of urgency and intensity that they had last night um, if they're going to have any chance to go to the playoffs. So good to see them get a win last night, but I think that you really can't rest on your laurels, you know, considering some of the games that you have coming up against some really good teams. The Revolution actually do have a game against the Houston Dynamo um, in between the Red Bulls and Montreal games. So opportunities for the Revs with uh, five games left. It's kind of hard to believe um, that the season is, you know, winding down. But yeah, I mean, it means that the Revs have to be even more motivated than they already are to be able to get three points with most of these games and be able to get into the playoffs. Um, because I think the Revs are a team that they are very talented. And I think if they, if they were able to get into the playoffs, they would make things very difficult for you know, any of the higher seeds, you know, considering the goaltending that they have, the star power, and obviously the coaching. Bruce Arena, a guy that's been around Major League Soccer and coached many teams to, to championships, but also has a lot of experience in playoff games. So, you know, that's going to be very interesting to see if the Revs do get in, who do they draw, and, you know, do they make a run? Um, so I think that's probably going to do it for the revolution. We're going to talk about um, some NFL notes. And yeah, with the season starting on Thursday night, we are going to get into some predictions for the season. So I'm really looking forward to get into this. So without further ado, just give you some notes. Uh, recently, uh, Jason Peters has been added to the Cowboys practice squad. Uh, to help bolster their offensive line that'll be missing uh, Tyron Smith for um, a good portion of the season. It's kind of unknown how much time he's going to miss. Um, and so the Cowboys adding Peters, the former um, Eagles tackle, to their practice squad. So they're helping their line a little bit. Um, Matthew Stafford is reporting that he has no limitations on his elbow for the season opener Thursday night. Um, in L.A. as the Rams host the Bills. And uh, Jimmy Garoppolo staying with the 49ers, which was kind of interesting to see. Um, he really wasn't expecting to be staying there, and I don't think anyone was either. So that's kind of going to be interesting to watch. You know, Trey Lance, I think, is undoubtedly the number one guy. But, you know, who knows if he falters or has an injury. Garoppolo's right there, and it really wouldn't surprise me if he plays some this season. But, you know, if Lance comes in and plays well, then, you know, it's 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 really his job to lose. So I'm curious to see what happens there. Um, the Titans also lost uh, Harold, Harold Landry, the former uh, BC line, linebacker. 
defensive lineman, losing him to a torn ACL. So that's a big blow for the Titans, who I think are a team that might regress a little bit as they've lost a good bit of talent from last year's team. Um, so now we're going to get into some predictions for the season. Um, you know, we'll start, we'll do each of the divisions, um, and then we'll do playoff standings for each of the conferences, and then I'll go through uh, some playoff games that I think might happen, and then uh, what the uh, Super Bowl winner, who or who the Super Bowl winner is going to be. Um, so I think starting in the AFC, starting with the East, uh, really no, no question that I think the Bills are going to be winning the division. Um, you know, I think that me being kind of the, the, the bold take in me, you know, thinking that the Patriots are going to be playing the Bills for first place in that last week, you know, and it's a bold prediction. It's a bold prediction for a reason, but um, I do think the Bills win the division. Um, I think the Patriots are still slightly better than the Dolphins, so I think the Patriots finish second, uh, Dolphins third, and then the Jets in fourth. Um, you know, I think the Jets have definitely made a lot of headlines with the amount of talent that they've brought in through the draft, especially, but, you know, Zach Wilson's going to miss some time, and, you know, I think I'm not totally sold on him as a quarterback yet, and so I think, you know, the Jets might be a year away from being a truly contending team, um, so that's how I have the division shaping out. Um, the AFC North, I think I have Cincinnati winning the division. I really like what they did to um, help their offensive line in the offseason. Um, and so, you know, bringing back virtually the same group of offensive guys, same group of defensive guys, and I think they're going to be motivated. Um, Joe Burrow is a guy that I think is uh, really special, and so I think he's going to lead this team to have another uh, great season. I think Baltimore improves from last year. Obviously, they got hit a lot with injuries. And they're going to be a team that... Um, I think definitely improves from where they were last year. So they'll definitely be in the playoff hunt in the AFC. Um, taking a look at some of the other teams, you have the Browns, who I think it's kind of amazing that Deshaun Watson's not out the whole season. You know, he's out for 11 weeks, but that's a team that I think could legitimately stay afloat for those 11 games. You know, if they're six and five or five and six, they have a pretty good chance that they could stay alive. Um, and I think the Steelers are in fourth. I think that offense is, you know, it, there's a lot of question marks at corner quarterback. Um, the offensive line is a little bit of a concern too. So that's a team that I don't think is going to score enough points to be competitive this season. Um, the AFC South, I have the Colts in first, followed by the Titans, the Jags, and the Texans. I think this AFC South is going to be pretty easy for the Colts this year, you know, bringing in Matt Ryan have a lot of playmakers on offense and on defense. So I don't think that's a division that I need to spend a lot of time on. You know, I think the Titans will be a decent team. Don't know if they're going to be a playoff team. You know, they lost a lot of talent. Um, and then Robert Woods is going to be their top receiver. But, you know, he's coming back from an injury. So I don't really think the Titans are going to challenge for much. I do think the Jags are going to have a better year um, with Trevor Lawrence and that offense. You know, not being coached by Urban Meyer. I think they're going to have a decent year this year. Um, and the Texans, you know, I think one of the least talented teams in the league will probably finish fourth in their division. Um, the AFC West, 
you know, here's where things get very interesting. This is a division that I think legitimately could have three teams in the playoffs, possibly even four, uh, which would be crazy. Um, I do think the Chiefs are still the best team in that division. Um, you know, losing Tyreek Hill was huge, but I think that they brought in some other guys, Juju Smith-Schuster, uh, Valdez Scantling. I think they're going to be just fine offensively. Um, defensively, you know, they obviously have their warts, as they always do, but you got Mahomes, you got Andy Reid. I don't really think that they're going to regress all that much this year. They do have a tough schedule, but I still think that they win the division. Uh, the Broncos, I think, finish second. I think they have a really good season. Um, I think Russell Wilson is going to be a big addition for them. I think he's going to have a big season. Um, the Chargers, I think, finish third. They're really talented, but I don't know. I think there, there's something off about that team that I don't totally trust. That, you know, they got a lot of big-time players in the offseason, but that doesn't necessarily always equate to being a really good football team. I do think they're going to be good because Herbert is a tremendous quarterback, but I think that I still do have some small concerns about them. Uh, the Raiders, I think, unfortunately finished last. Um, they're kind of similar to the Chargers. They made a lot of big, flashy moves in the offseason, but I'm not really convinced that they are, you know, that much better. You know, Derek Carr will kind of see what he can do. You know, he's a solid quarterback, but I never thought that he's really an elite guy, and I think that obviously giving him Devontae Adams is, is huge, but I think the offensive line's a little shaky, and I think that, you know, defensively they did bring in a couple of flashy names, but I'm kind of not really sure. Not really sure what we see from that team. And, you know, Josh McDaniels coaching that team. We all know about his head coaching record. And, yeah, I mean, I think it's going to be a stacked division. You know, I do think there's a great chance that all four teams have a winning record. It's just going to be a matter of which teams do better in those divisional games. Um, so for the playoff standings in the AFC, I have the Bills, Bengals, and the Chiefs, and the Colts as the uh, division winners in order of where, where they will finish in the, in the conference. So as it, as it works is, I think seven teams make the playoffs. Number one seed gets the bye. So I think the Bills will get the bye. Bengals, Chiefs, and Colts, the division winners, and then the wildcard teams um, have the Broncos, the Chargers, and the Patriots. And then in terms of the AFC playoffs, um, unfortunately, I do have the Patriots losing in the first round. But, you know, I think they're going to do a lot better in the playoffs than they did last year. You know, maybe it's a better game. But I do think at the end of the day that the uh, Bengals will win. Um, will win that game. Um, and then I do have the Bengals winning the conference. Um, I think that returning the same, virtually the same group from last year and improving upon the one big area of weakness. I think that they get back to the Super Bowl this year. Um, I really like that team this year. Um, and the NFC, I'm going to try to go a little bit, a little bit quicker here. Um, I think I have the Cowboys finishing first, followed by the Eagles, the Commanders, and the Giants. Um, I think the Eagles are going to have a really good year, but I think the Cowboys, considering all the playmakers that they have on offense and defense. Um, I think they do well enough to win the division, but I do expect that this division is going to be close at the top, that 
you know, it might come down to a late regular season game between the Cowboys and the Eagles to determine who wins the division. The Commanders, I don't really see them being very good, you know, unless Carson Wentz really turns back the clock and plays some outstanding football. They're going to be without Chase Young for a good portion of, like, the first half of the season, but that's still a good enough defense. Um, the Giants, I think, just kind of remains to be seen if they're going to be competitive. You know, a lot is resting on Daniel Jones and what, you know, Brian Dable can do with him. Um, but I'm just not convinced that this is a Giants team that's going to be able to win more than five or six games this year. Um, in the a NFC North, I think the Packers win the division. Obviously, losing Devontae Adams was big, but I think they're going to be just fine. Um, you know, Rodgers is Rodgers. He can make anyone into an elite receiver, but um, they've had some guys that have had good camps. So I think that they're going to be fine. I think they still win the division. Uh, Vikings, I think, finish second. I think they're going to do better with uh, the new coach. The Lions, I think they have a solid season this year. Maybe they flirt with 500, but they're a team that I think does a lot better. The Bears, I think, are one of the worst teams in the league, so I don't think they're going to have any chance of being competitive at all this season. Um, the NFC South, the Bucks, I think, are still the best team. Um, I do think the Saints are going to be very good this year. I think that returning a defense that's really strong in Jameis Winston, I think before that injury, he was playing at a really high level. So that's an offense that I think I could see doing very well. Um, that's a team that I think will improve last year. But, you know, I think like Baltimore, they had some injuries down the stretch. So um, they're a team that I think all goes well. They're going to be a playoff team. Uh, Panthers, I think, are going to be somewhat solid. I don't think they're good enough to make the playoffs, but maybe they win six or seven games. Uh, the Falcons, I don't think, are going to be very good. I think they're in last. In the NFC West, this is also a very interesting division as you have three teams that are legitimate playoff contenders. Uh, the Rams, I think, still win the division. I still think that they have um, enough talent on that team. They have a tough schedule this year, but I still think they win the division. I think the 49ers come in second. I think Trey Lance has a good season. You know, I think they're a team that they have a lot of talent everywhere, and I think the only question mark is at quarterback, and you see what kind of guy Trey Lance can be. But I think surrounded by the talent that he's surrounded by on offense, um, I think they're going to have a good season. I think they're going to be maybe a game better than the Cardinals. Um, the Cardinals are a team that I'm not sold on, to be perfectly honest. I think that, you know, Kyler Murray is a great player, but there's something missing with that team, and i just not sure if they're going to be a playoff team. I really have gone back and forth. Um, and then the Seahawks, I think, are in last. Taking a look at the playoff standings for the NFC, I have the Bucks, the Packers, the Cowboys, and the Rams as the division winners. And then the wild card positions, I have the Eagles, the 49ers, and the Saints. So coming out of the NFC, I have the Packers. Um, I think they're going to be extra motivated this year. Um, I think Rodgers is going to have another good year. Um, but I think defensively, they make enough plays in the playoffs um, and they get to the Super Bowl to play the Bengals. And then in terms of the Super Bowl winner, I like the Bengals. I know that it's uh, kind of crazy to pick a team that made the Super Bowl last year, but, you know, hey, the Chiefs made the Super Bowl two years in a row and 
the Bengals. I think it's a very similar team in terms of the offensive talent that they have. I think that if they stay healthy and the offensive line is good, I have no reason to believe the Bengals are not going to be a legit Super Bowl contender. And I do have them winning um, at the end of the season. So uh, hopefully I'm right, but I'm probably going to be wrong. And I look forward to that in terms of um, awards um, at the end of the season. Uh, Josh Allen, I think, wins MVP. I think the Bills have uh, like a 14 or 15 win season. Um, but I do think the Bengals beat them in the playoffs. But I do think uh, Josh Allen's going to be MVP this year, Offensive Player of the Year. I think Justin Herbert, I think he's going to have a great year. Uh, Defensive Player of the Year, I have Micah Parsons winning. Um, he was tremendous last year, won Defensive Rookie of the Year. Um, in terms of the, the rookies, uh, Chris Olave, I have him winning Offensive Rookie of the Year. Uh, Aiden Hutchinson, I have him winning Defensive Player of the Year. Uh, Jameis Winston, I have him winning Comeback Player of the Year. So the Saints get a couple of awards there, and they get back to the playoffs. Um, and Coach of the Year, uh, Nick Sirianni is the guy that I'm picking. I think that the Eagles have a very good season and just miss winning the division by like a game. But I do think the Eagles get to the playoffs and get uh, a win in the first round of the playoffs. And then they get a rematch with the Bucks and they come close, but I think the Bucks beat them. But I do think that Sirianni does the best job and wins coach of the year this year. So I think that's probably it for, you know, quick NFL preview and thoughts. I'll probably um, see if I can tweet out those predict predictions at some point um, on Thursday before the first game kicks off. But really looking forward to the season this year. I think it's going to be really, really exciting. Um, I think it's a year that I think certainly, yeah, there are three or four teams at the very top that I think could win the Super Bowl, but I do think that there are plenty of teams that have a chance. You know, I think that uh, a lot of people are picking Buffalo, and I promise you I'm not not picking Buffalo because I'm biased, but um, I just really like Joe Burrow. There's something about him where he just strikes me as a guy that um, is going to be really special in this league for a while. So um, I like the Bengals to win the Super Bowl. I know I'm probably going to be wrong, um, but I'm excited to find out. So first game, uh, Thursday night, 8-15. The Bills and the Rams get it started, and then uh, Patriots have their first game uh, Sunday at 1 o'clock in Miami. So I think that that's going to do it for the NFL. I think we're going to stick with the football theme. Um, and go through some college football. Uh, there were some good games this weekend. Um, you know, it is it is interesting though because I think we are we are still technically in week one because there is a game tonight, uh, Clemson against Georgia Tech. So I don't know if it makes sense to jump ahead to the next week. Uh, Florida and L or Florida State and LSU played last night. Florida State was able to get the win, their second win of the season. Um, some other games from Saturday. Um, Notre Dame really hung around against Ohio State, but the Buckeyes were able to win 21-10. to I was really impressed with how uh, Notre Dame played. But Ohio State gets the win. Georgia destroyed Oregon 49-3. That was a game that uh, I did not see that score being that uh being that lopsided, but Georgia is really good again, so they're definitely a team that's going to be uh, one of the teams to beat in America. Uh, Florida with a home win against 7th-ranked Utah. That was kind of the surprise of the weekend, so Florida gets a win. 
um, NC State survived in East Carolina and missed field goal at the end of regulation. So NC State gets their first win. Uh, Arkansas beats Cincinnati 31 to 24. That was another ranked game. And then, uh, yeah, fourth ranked Clemson against Georgia Tech tonight in Atlanta at eight o'clock. So I think we're not gonna quite look ahead to next week, um, but kind of go through some of the games that happened this week. So yeah, football's back, college football's back. NFL is back, and it's a great time, great time to be a football fan. Uh, so we're going to move on, talk a little bit about baseball. The Yankees were reporting that um, Andrew Benatendi needs surgery on a broken wrist bone, so it kind of remains to be seen if he'll be available the rest of the season. Max Scherzer said he's fine after leaving his last start. He's on track to start his next game. Um, then the Tigers putting Miguel Cabrera on a 10-day injured list. Uh, taking a look at some of the standings and where things look with about a month to go. The Yankees still in first, but that uh, lead over Tampa Bay is only five games now, and Toronto is only six back, so things could get very interesting in the ALEs. The Yankees have uh, pretty much fallen off a cliff. It's kind of crazy. Um, in the American League Central, Cleveland and Minnesota are tied atop the division, and then the White Sox are only two games back, so things could get very interesting in the Central. Um, in the American League West, Houston still with a 10-game lead over Seattle. Taking a look at the National League, you got the Mets in first place by only a game. Atlanta continues to breathe down their neck as they are just a game back of the Mets. So that division will get very interesting in the last month. The Cardinals now with an eight and a half game lead over Milwaukee. So they have uh, given themselves some distance. And then the Dodgers, 19 games up on the Padres. Dodgers, 92 and 41, by far the best record in Major League Baseball. Uh, taking a look at the wild card, you have the Mariners, the Rays, and Toronto in those wild card positions. Baltimore, two and a half back, Cleveland and Minnesota, five games back. In the National League, you have Atlanta, the Padres, and the Phillies in the wildcard spots, with the Brewers just two and a half back of the last wildcard spot. So now we're going to get to some NHL notes. There's plenty of stuff to talk about. There's a lot of uh, movement in terms of some free agents signing. So uh, the Vancouver Canucks coming to terms with uh, JT Miller, giving him a seven-year deal. I think it was seven years. Yeah, seven years for $56 million. So that's a name off the board that I was kind of hoping the Bruins could look into. But um, I think it's a great deal for Vancouver. You know, Miller's a tremendous player at 99 points last year. So um, I think this is a Vancouver's a team that I think could be um, a very strong team next year. So I'm kind of curious to see how they do. Uh, Jake Ottinger for the... Dallas Stars got a new contract, three years for $4 million per. Uh, was a goaltender formerly at Boston University, plays for the Stars. So that's significant because I think that that's a contract that Jeremy Swayman could absolutely sign um, next offseason when he's a restricted free agent. Uh, Tage Thompson and the Sabres agreed to a seven-year extension. Uh, the Penguins are bringing back Mike Sullivan, for a three-year extension. Um, I think that's, I think that's it. I'm going to move on, talk 
a little bit about the NBA before we uh, let you guys go. Um, Lonzo Ball, doubtful for the start of the season for the Bulls. Um, and then obviously the big news this week, uh, Donovan Mitchell finally traded to the Cleveland Cavaliers, which surprised a lot of people that really thought that he was going to be uh, going to the Knicks at some point. Um, but it's a great trade for Cleveland. I really think that they made out very well with this trade. Uh, Mitchell's a guy that I think I'm not going to be shy about my feelings about him. I do think that I do think that he's a good player, but I don't really think that he's like a transformative guy. He's never been a guy that's made an All NBA, but it it is a move that makes Cleveland a lot better. You know, the Jazz um, pretty clear that pretty clear what they're trying to do and get all these draft picks that Danny Ainge is uh, known for gathering together. So the Jazz getting three unprotected first-round picks um, and two pick swaps. And then they also got Larry, Larry Markkinen, uh, Colin Sexton, who they signed to a new four-year deal, um, then Ochai Abaji, who is a rookie from Kansas. So I think that, you know, Cleveland, or uh, Utah gets some decent players. They get a lot of picks. Um, you know, Sexton is a guy that I think is going to be really good in this league. So, or he already is really good. He's played really well in some uh, seasons where he was in Cleveland. He only played 11 games last year because of a knee injury. But I do think that Sexton's a nice player. You know, Markkinen's decent. I think is going to be really good. But really the story of the trade is the draft picks. But then the... Cavs also getting Mitchell, you know, I think it makes their team really dangerous and makes them a contender with, you know, Garland and Allen, all-stars last year, and then Evan Mobley, who had a really good year last year. So I think uh, you're going to see more movement in Utah with uh, Bogdanovich Clarkson and Mike Conley potentially being moved Um but I like the move for Cleveland. I think they're going to be really good. Remains to be seen, though, if they're really going to be a top-tier team in the Eastern Conference. Um, you know, I think that they're certainly good enough to be at least a top-five seed in the East, but I think are they as good as the Celtics and, like, the Bucks? I don't know. You know, we'll see. But one thing's for sure, the Eastern Conference is going to be a lot of fun to watch this year with, you know, about eight teams that I think are going to be pretty fun to watch. So looking forward to that. Um, I think before we let you guys go, I would like to um, just say a few things about Serena Williams, who is uh, um, evolving away from the game. As seems to me that she's stepping away from the game and uh, retiring at the, the age of 40, but um, just a, a tremendous career. And, you know, it's one of those athletes that you know, I was thinking about this the other day when I was watching her, her final match that it's kind of amazing to think that, you know, all of us have been alive during this period of unbelievable all-time athletes, you know, and you think about Serena, you think about Brady, you think about LeBron James, you know, you think about some of these athletes that we've been lucky enough to watch, you know, it's so funny. It's like you think of the old athletes from back in the day that, you know, you have your parents talk about that, oh my God, these were amazing athletes. You know, you think about someone like Michael Phelps too, you know, athletes that are going to be remembered as some of the greatest of this era. 
you know, I think Serena, it's pretty clear she's one of the greatest tennis players um, of all time. So it was really a, a treat to be able to watch her one last time. You know, obviously, I think we all would have liked her to win the entire U.S. Open, but um, just like seeing the, seeing the love and the appreciation for uh, one of the greatest athletes of our time, you know, was really, really neat. Um, so I think it made sense just to say some nice things about her as she, you know, enjoys her, her retirement and steps away from the game. But um, it just was, uh, it's hard not to, not to marvel at an athlete like that for, you know, doing it as long as she did and being as dominant for as long as she was. Um, you know, winning countless tournaments and in 23 major titles, which is one short of the, the all-time record, but um, just a tremendous athlete to be able to watch. So I thought it made sense just to say some words before we step away this week. Um, really looking forward to Guest Friday later this week. Be previewing uh, the Patriots season as they get ready for the Dolphins. Um, as always, you can uh, listen to the podcast on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. You can you know, follow on Spotify, give us a rating, star review on Apple Podcasts. I really appreciate that. Um, and then on the social pages, you can follow for the latest updates on Twitter and on Facebook. All right, everyone, we will talk to you later this week.